What do you think happens when you get four drummers together from Ohio? Today, we're going to find out on episode four, OOH, Those Drummers, part one. I was born in Canton, Ohio, and after living in South Florida during middle and high school, I moved back to Ohio where I played percussion at The Ohio State University, I worked at a record shop, and eventually worked at one of the coolest drum stores in the United States, Columbus Pro Percussion, owned by two incredible drummers and mentors of ours, Jim Rupp and Bob Breitop. During that time in the 90s is when I met all of our guests for today who are my close drumming friends. So join us as we cover the 90s Columbus music scene, swap manly drum shop stories, talk on Neil Peart, Peter Erskine, our mentors from Ohio, drum corps, the music industry, Nashville, music and drums during the COVID-19 pandemic, hope for the future, what keeps us going, and just enjoy some good laughs. By the way, I recorded this episode while under quarantine here in Atlanta. Hope you enjoy. Today we have a special episode, a reunion of sorts. My guests for today are friends of mine, at least I hope I can say that anyway, from Central Ohio way back in the day from the early 90s. One is the host of the Working Drummer podcast and a drummer who's performed 10 years with the band Savannah Jack, as well as Canadian singer Michelle Wright. And he's a former co-worker buddy of mine from our days at Columbus Pro Percussion in Columbus, Ohio. Matthew Krause. Hey, Matt. Hey, man. Good morning. Hey, good morning. We also have another Ohioan buddy of mine who I have not seen in years. I mean years, probably since the 90s when we attended the Ohio State University Great guy who currently drums with Ward Davis and has worked with country legend Earl Thomas Conley. Josh Berkheimer. Hey, Josh. Howdy. Go Bucks. Yeah, go Bucks, of course. Yes. And uh, <laughs> as a special bonus, I mean, if this anchor podcast can even handle any more awesomeness than we already have on here, uh, we attended Ohio State together. We were both drummers in the jazz ensembles there. He's another one of my uh, fellow Columbus Pro Percussion employees. And he uh, played drums for the incredible jazz vocalist Diane Schur as well as the incomparable Dr. John. Ladies and gentlemen, Reggie Jackson. Yo, what's up? <laughs> hey, guys, let's, let's, let's start off. Let's have some fun. Uh, let's go around the table and, and talk about uh, Ohio roots um, and maybe even uh, and how we met. Let's, let's get that started. Mm. Uh, Matthew, I'll start with you. Well, uh, first of all, I am not an Ohio State alum, but yes, we know that's okay. <laughs> I, I married one. Jeez, you know, I'm married into it. Well, so I went to I went to the conservatory at Capital University, and and where I met my wife Liz, but she got her graduate degree at Ohio State. My sister went to Ohio State. I grew up in the shadow of Ohio State, so yeah, I mean, come on, for, for not being a sports ball guy, I I, I root for the Bucks. Um, there you go. Good, good. <laughs> so, um, you know what's ironic? So when I was at Capitol, we would come to some coffee shop on campus at Ohio State and have open jam sessions, as you do. And uh, so it was Capitol guys and Ohio State players. And, and, and Chad, that's where I saw you, I mean. With kinda... Jeff Ray. Probably with Jeff Ray. Yeah, that's right. Rest, rest in peace, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, 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 so, so I knew you from that, and I, I, I knew you around town because if you played locally, you played on campus, you played in the clubs there. I knew Ishkabibble, you know. So when you started working at Columbus Percussion, maybe just months after I did, you know, I kind of knew, knew who you were, but that's where we met. 
at Columbus Percussion officially. Cool. And then, um, okay. And then, and then, uh, how about? And then, is that where you met Reggie? I think so. Um, yeah, I think I think that was the first time we met. You know, it's so funny because I think you just kind of take for granted the community, and and then you. So it's I, I felt like I knew everybody, but but with but with Josh, if we're going around when we met people from personally josh and i have known each other since like dude fourth grade fifth grade yeah grade. yeah hey josh you're probably the the, the the longest person i've known living <laughs> <laughs> josh josh i want to hear some matthew Krause yeah <laughs> You want to hear a, you want to hear a Josh story? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. I, I'll try and make this brief, but this is a good one. So uh, we, he invited us to some a party, like a bunch of Gahanna friends. Oh yeah, so Gahanna. And so like we're like, okay, we'll go there. So is this fourth grade. Yeah. This is like no, this is like sixth grade, I think. <laughs> so you were hard. Cool, I don't know man. what was in the. I don't know what was in the Kool Aid, but there was something spiked, and Josh just went to town on it. We drove his car, so he couldn't drive. So I drove his car. Bear in mind, we're like 12 years old. No, I'm driving his car. <laughs> He's vomiting out the side of the car. We, we like, we go to his house. We go to my house. We get the garden hose, spray down his house, stick him in my bathroom while my dog is licking his face. <laughs> you know, my this, mom, my this mom, is what happens when you get a bunch of drummers together. I didn't know what I thought was going to happen, but this is what happens. This is what happens. <laughs> and, and of course, this is how cool my mom was. She's like, hey, is there anything I can do? Is everybody all right? Does he need to stay? You know, she's just like, you know, a single mom, just like, okay, what's going on in my house? How do I just kind of remain relevant to what's happening? Right. So that's my, I mean, I, wow. I got more Josh stories, but, but I, I don't want to take up. <laughs> well, I was I, hoping for a more innocent fourth grade, you know, uh, his <laughs> ass on the playground kind of story. I, okay. I'll, I'll give you a Matt Krause story then. Awesome. Okay. awesome. So, uh, we did meet in fourth grade, um, we were in the school we were in uh, at Worthington Christian had um, they started band in the fourth grade. So there must have been, I don't know, six or seven of us that signed up to play drums. And I think literally probably for the first three years that Matt played drums, he played with nothing but one mallet on a bass drum. <laughs> That's how yeah. I started. And I made, I made yeah. that one, man. Like he just, he just, if, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about it before. It was just like, we all just wanted to hang out together. And so, yeah. you know, we just, you know, I wanted to be in band and coming, you know, from a, uh, coming from my family, it was something I knew I was going to do, but all of us were just, we were already friends and it was just like, all right, well, they're all going to be in the drum section with me. And it was, uh, yeah, we got in a lot of trouble back there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, my, my, uh, I met, before I met Matthew or Reggie, I met Josh, and I was this, I was this, uh, long haired mullet, uh, gold chain wearing dude from South Florida that, that landed at Ohio State. And, uh, I think, Josh, you were, you were marching in, in Tabibbittle, right? The yeah. State marching band. Yep. And, um, and I think we had a mutual friend, Tim Bradley. Do you remember him? I do. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I remember going over to your place one time. I remember meeting you and you had a lot of really cool 
uh, just like, I don't know if you had rush memorabilia or like records or something cool. And, uh, and I, and I, I can't remember, did you, did you graduate Ohio state then move right away or something? Cause I, I lost contact with you like after that. No, after, um, honestly, after a year, I, I dropped out and That's I, took, what it was. I took a year off from school and then transferred down to uh, university of Kentucky. Okay. Um, All right. And I spent a year at Kentucky and then, uh, I got hired to work at, um, Bush gardens in Virginia in their country show, which at the time I was hoping I was going to get hired for the big band show. <laughs> so when I got hired for the country show, I was kind of like, was Jason Sutter, was Jason Sutter doing the big band? Yeah. And that was the summer that Jason was the drummer there in the, in the big band. So that to me, then at that point I spent, I guess I spent six months there in Virginia and I just, you know, honestly, I mean, for me, I was like, well, why am I going to go back to school to get a piece of paper that says I can play the drums when I'm getting hired contract work to play the drums. And so it it was a real struggle for me to, to, um, I I loved it at UK. Um, again, there I was surrounded by, I mean, my, my, my roommate was Glenn Kochi who's the drummer for Wilco. Uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, incredible players there. Wow. Well, you know, it's funny. There's a, um, on Facebook, uh, there's this, there's this new group called drum Corps friends. And, um, they were talking about, yeah, you know, who, who, uh, of music fame or whatever had March drum Corps, And his name actually came up yesterday on the feed. Yeah. Glenn, I I've never met him, but, uh, well, um, and you probably, you were probably there. Was James Campbell there? Yeah, that was it. Jim was the, was the professor there and he was still the program coordinator for the Cavaliers and most all the guys there marched Cavaliers. I was like, yeah, throw, throw some other names out there. Uh, guys Scott Kretzer. Um, oh yeah. Shocker, one individual. Um, Mark Casey, uh, the yeah. Casey Claw. Um, those, those two guys in particular, along with Glenn were, were three of the biggies that, um, you know, really made an impact on me and obviously on the drum corps world as well. Um, and you know, so that whole environment there was really intense. Uh, I found it to be, um, a lot more intense than Ohio state. Doc Moore was the nicest on the planet. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just wasn't going to get up your butt. And yeah. And right. I wanted somebody to get up my butt a little bit. Um and and that was a place where I really, you know, experienced what I wanted out of the college experience, I guess. And I just I couldn't justify going into debt with student loans and all that stuff. I'm like, man, I'm already working. Um Yeah. So that well, really- God bless God bless Doc Moore, you know, and oh, I mean, he was a gem. Uh, the dude, you know, at Ohio State, I, I don't know if he, he ever told you, but he, he got to play for Stravinsky when Stravinsky visited Ohio State in like 71. Wow. Um, but, you know, Doc, it wasn't until – Tim Sibbles was awesome too. He, he marched Phantom yeah. back in the day. And, and yeah. he, uh, he he would light a fire. It wasn't until Fernando Meza came in and started cleaning yeah. the house and then, you know, like whipped us, whipped all our asses in shape mm-hmm. at, at Ohio State for college. You know, I do have to say, too, I mean, I studied with Jim Curlis there at Ohio State. He was the drum set teacher, and I was in, oh, yeah. I was in the jazz ensemble as a freshman getting my butt handed to me in, in rehearsal every single day. Um, 
And, yeah. uh, you know, and so those experiences were really tremendous at Ohio State, too. And same with the marching band, you know, even uh, it's yeah. amazing to think what I endured in that band and seeing what's happened now. <laughs> oh, yeah. With Mark, Mark Reynolds, you know, I was thinking we should have him on here, too. But I'm gonna... Mark and I were in an all state band together in 1988. Um, we opened up the. We played for the opening of the the Seagate Convention Center in um, in Toledo, and ooh, big gig, big gig. And, <laughs> I remember this. Jim Swearingen wrote a piece called the Seagate Overture that we that he was commissioned to write it. Uh, but yeah, Mark and I uh, were were in that group together. Um, oh, man, he's a he's a great. Dude. He he's awesome. Uh, Reggie, Reggie, um, so. I, we met at Ohio State, I think, and we we became friends. And um, I was a I was a performance major, but I switched to music ed, and I started taking lessons. Which was smart. I, yeah. I should have done the same thing. <laughs> I started taking lessons with Joe Ong, and then he. What was really cool is that you know I was still learning about jazz. You know, I thought I knew what jazz was back then. Maybe we all did. And uh, I'm that's a lifelong learning thing, like almost like speaking German. But um, and, and Joe Ong recommended me for the second jazz <laughs> ensemble spot. You know, Reggie had the uh, the top seat with Dr. McDaniel. Reggie was the man. And uh, I became friends with Reggie. And uh, I have some great memories uh, just being friends with Reggie. I think I want to say before. Yeah, well, before I was at um, Columbus Pro Percussion, when we worked there, Reggie. Right. I mean, we went to we went yeah. to New York City with my girlfriend one time. And yeah, we, we went to the Blue Note. We walked down the street, totally un like we had no idea. Walk down the street, go to the Blue Note. Reggie and I are walking down New York City, and on the board it says, uh, "I forget who was it." Diane Sure that night, and then and Jim Rupp and yeah. Jim Rupp was playing drums. Our boss, <laughs> our future boss. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So we go into the Blue Note. This one that I'll never forget because I, you know, I wasn't I wasn't half the drummer jazz drummer Reggie was, and I was still learning. And we go in there and. Reggie gets to sit in, and I'm like, "All right, I get to sit in too." And wah, yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> Denied, and I was like, later, I was like, "Yeah, it's probably a good thing I didn't play that." Night. So, um, no, but yeah, no that 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 trip was uh, was was actually a blast. You know what's so funny? What I remember most about that, you know, aside from you know hanging with Jim and and Roger yeah. Hines. Um, who was also teaching at Ohio State at that time and working with Diane Shore. Um, I remember on that drive, Chad, you hit me to Alan Holdsworth. Oh, yeah. And that just like, I think the me- the record was Metal Fatigue. And I just remember we listened to that, oh gosh, probably four or five times yeah. uh, on that trip. And I, ju- I just remember just being blown away um, from you know you know not only his playing his compositions and then of course you know all the great drummers oh, yeah. um, i got one more memory from that new york trip we go over i look in the newspaper and wallace roney is playing at tavern on the green that's and right like, we got to go so we went and um you know wallace roney played on some of the tony williams albums yeah. and um i think tony was still alive at this time but tony wasn't playing i forget no, yeah, it was uh, Cindy. Uh, oh, Cindy. No, no. Was it Tony Reedus? Maybe. I don't remember who was playing. But do you remember we ordered? I ordered steak, and they said our steak's so tender you don't need a knife. And they didn't bring a knife out. 
and I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me get through the steak with a fork. And I had to, I had to request a knife and the guy like came back yep. and like thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> right. I just remember that. <laughs> Random. Matt, right. what do you have? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I think Chad, you introduced me to Alan Holdsworth as well. Mm. When I think back about it, you know, just the, when you would order CDs and, and music, yeah. when we, when Columbus pro used to carry that. That's right. So, well, that was uh, my that was my route. You know, I, I was learning. I love John Coltrane. I love Miles Davis. I didn't have the background in traditional swing and I was, I was still learning. But I dove head first because I had, you know, some of those drum corps chops because I marched in high school with Florida Wave back in the day. And I had some drum corps chops. And so like all those little fusion chops, I could relate. I trying to learn those where, you know, swing much more of a feel thing. And you could I could do licks, you know, I could work on that. So I went kind of the fusion route and. Uh, I don't know if you remember my my roommate Trevor Ward, um, who he we're still we're still yeah. great friends. He's out in California. He works for Dolby, and he's actually opening his own brewery in Los Angeles. So more to come nice. on that. But um, we used to go over to Tony McClung, uh, Flat Earth's house, basically. Tony McClung, Sean Bowers, Aaron Bond, they had a, and Joe Crump in Columbus. This is our freshman year at Ohio State. We would we would make the trip. We would walk from Lincoln Tower. Or we're like uh, all the way, <laughs> all the way down to where Stashes was, and uh, was that the short north? Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Um, stop in some place with a fake ID to get beer, and buy all this beer. Go over to Flat Earth, of which they would drink most of us and leave us nothing, but just to hang out and like they would teach us about like Weather Report and Alan Holdsworth, and that's where I got all that from. Yeah. Such great ah, stuff. okay. Such yeah. Great stuff. Um, and so yeah. then you guys, so then that's how I met Reggie. And then, but I didn't work, you know, Matthew, Reggie, and I worked at Columbus Pro Percussion. But Josh, how did you meet Reggie through Columbus Pro Percussion? Yeah, it would have been there too. I started there when I was, yeah, uh, I started working there when I was 16. Um, and <laughs> my very first job there, and this was at the old store, uh, just a little further down. I didn't, right. damn, yeah. I didn't know you worked there, man. That's, that's in crazy. fact, that's it was crazy. called Columbus Percussion Center (CPC) at the. Yeah, CPC. Um, that's right. I've still got Vader sticks with the uh, with the Columbus Percussion Center logo on them, and not the. Nice. Uh, <laughs> eBay. In fact, I still have my key. Yeah, right. eBay. My keychain <laughs> is from the very first edition of. Uh, Vader drumstick keychains that they put out uh, back in the eighties. Oh. I still have that sucker, and I, I, believe Jeez, I haven't wow. lost it. I mean, it's what thirty-two years that I've had that thing. I was telling um, Reggie and Matt, Josh, the other day uh, that I remember going to meet when Living Color first came out, and they were opening up for the Stones on tour. Will Calhoun. That was back at the the house. Oh, okay. The Columbus, yeah. per, Columbus Pro Percussion or Columbus Percussion was just at the house. And I walk up to this house to meet Will Calhoun, and there yeah, and he signed my uh, signed my Living Color stuff. Or when I, I met, I remember when Weckl did a clinic at the yeah. store. Yep, I met him. There. I uh, my my first job. Yeah. Well, when I got there, they were expanding and taking over the other half of that building, and <laughs> my first mm -hmm. job there was to paint the ceiling black. <laughs> so. My first yeah. few weeks there were up on a ladder uh, doing that. And then after that, it was a lot of uh, scrubbing toilets. <laughs> yeah, working yeah, your way up, yeah, man. Josh. Started from the bottom. Josh, yeah, we were, we were there. 
we were there at the same time because I, I remember yeah. helping out doing that same yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it would take literally like what three or four oh. coats of that paint because the ceiling tiles were the old school oh my god uh, acoustic tiles that had the the pits the divots in them so like you'd have to go over with a roller oh like a bunch of times just yeah. to get it black yeah um, oh yeah hey uh, so let's uh, uh to roll forward i want to tell people that don't know about you know what the what the columbus ohio aka cowtown uh how special was how the music scene was because i learned a lot from you know there, there's so many great musicians in that city um, I, I like to think it was a great learning era. You know, for me, I, I learned a lot there from from people like, you know, drummers like Tony McClung and like everybody that was there. Uh, but it, at the same time, as, as great of a scene it was, it wasn't a place where you could uh, labels weren't looking there. You couldn't get discovered there. So I, eventually I felt that one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta was I just felt, you know, it wasn't until recent years, like with 21 Pilots and all those things, you know, and. Uh, that nobody was really getting signed out of there. And when they did, um, you know, like Scrawl got signed by Electra, had a terrible A&R rep. They got dropped. It wasn't their fault. They're an incredible band. But I just felt like uh, uh, Cowtown was a really great learning experience for me and so many great players. Maybe talk about um, your experience with that. We, we can go around maybe start with Reggie. Oh, um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's really kind of insane. Uh the scene here um, and actually still living here. Um, there's a whole new, you know, group of younger drummers here that they're insanely scary. I mean, a along with other musicians too. Um, and uh, it's funny. Uh, Josh was talking about Jim Curlis and literally I was at the drum shop maybe two months ago and uh, ran in the gym. Uh, he was teaching there and literally was asking his advice on um, um, some um, uh, Gary Chafee stuff. Um, and so it, it, to me, that's the one great thing about uh, Columbus is there's so many great drummers and then everybody is willing uh, to be open and to share. I mean, uh, heck, Chad, I mean, I, I learned a ton of stuff uh, from you when we were back at school. Uh, hanging out um, uh, at uh, Weigel Hall in the lobby. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I just remember picking your brain um, and learning some exercises that uh, I think you were marching Star of Indiana at that time. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was there. I marched 92. So, yeah, 91, 92, all that stuff is when I would have been in the ensemble. Yeah, and uh, and I remember picking your brain. And then Matt, uh, oh, my gosh, uh, Matt showing me a bunch of stuff steve gad grooves and i mean that was just you know that was the great thing about that scene is was that the the real uh community of drummers just everybody being being willing to share and help one another out and you're right chad the the, the one drag is you know there's tons of great musicians here but as far as getting discovered trying to get a, a, a gig or a tour anything it just um you know, wasn't happening. And, uh, I remember, you know, that's, I, after I graduated, um, moved to LA, lived in LA for a year. Um, and I ended up moving back. Um, and don't get me wrong. 
uh, I love LA. There's some insanely good musicians there, uh, but probably like any city there, you know, um, there's also not so good uh, musicians. I remember um, you telling but, me that. I remember when you went out there, <clears throat> you told me about your Playboy Mansion episode. That was pretty cool. You got to play a gig at the Playboy Mansion, right? You, you were telling me that. Oh, I, well, I actually, I was lucky enough to do play there twice. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, Maybe I, remember you, you, I remember you specifically. Because, you know, we, we all had, <laughs> exactly. I had, you know, what do you, you call it? Delusions of grandeur about going to L.A. and. You were like, dude, there's just as many crappy drummers in L.A. as there are good ones. It's like anywhere else. He's he's like, he was very you're very encouraging. Like, Chad, you could you could do well out here. You know, just like there's a lot of crappy. It's, and like anywhere else, you, you got to know people, yeah. that kind of thing. It, 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 exactly. I mean, at least my experience has always been, you know, the ratio is the same. The numbers may, you know, be bigger in a larger city. But in terms of, you know, really, you know, good drummers and, you know, not so good drummers, uh, there's that. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing that made me want to come back, I mean, that's the one thing about Columbus, that it's a great place um, and not just Columbus, Ohio. Um, it's a great place to just like really uh, work on your craft. And no matter what, you know, genre you're into, there are cats here that are, you know, dealing with that, whether it be, um, you know, I just took a lesson uh, with a Brazilian drummer. Real quick to sum up my, my end on that Columbus, then we'll get to Josh and Matt. Uh, sorry to keep you hanging on. But um, uh, I, I just remember exactly about, you know, Cowtown, where, uh, of course, until recent years, it was really nice to see um, OAR and, uh, and, and obviously, you know, 21 Pilots you know, put kind of put Columbus on the map big time. And I was like, well, it's about time. And like, there were so many incredible musicians and talents in the nineties and there's all this incredible talent there. But, you know, I mean, you know, nobody ever really Hal and Maggie went out and got, you know, signed briefly again, seemed like anybody that got signed the the few bands that did get signed out of Columbus, Ohio were, were poorly represented by the labels and, and, you know, ended up not having success, not because of the bands, but because of the lack of support just at that time in that record industry. Um, and that's, that's, you know, as far as what I've seen. So I kind of felt I had to get out, you know, hindsight 2020, maybe, you know, stuck around another 20 years, but uh, Columbus might've been at the right time, but it just wasn't the right time for me. So I had to move to Atlanta. Um, Matthew or Josh, jump in there. Um, Go ahead, man. All right. Well, yeah, uh, for me, I was very fortunate uh, that my dad was was plugged in, obviously, in the music scene. He was a band director when I was first born. Um, so with he was one of the founding members of, uh, of uh, the Jazz Arts Group, which then became the Columbus Jazz Orchestra. And there's a really good documentary that uh, they just did on um, uh, the Jazz Arts Group um that has a lot of great history of of the organization um and of course the players and the artists that that have been involved through the years there's there's a few in let's say historical inaccuracies there's a couple of folks that took some uh took some uh liberties with, liberties with the truth about what went down but that's okay uh Save that for another documentary. <laughs> uh, I don't want to point any fingers at anybody, but, but anyway, 
<laughs> you know, from a really early age, uh, I was going to rehearsals over uh, in the Smith Room over at Capitol with the band. Uh, my dad would drag me to all that stuff. And um, so I got plugged in real quick with just seeing how musicians hang and the community that that, that was because all of those guys in that group were the best in town. They were all good friends. A lot of them had really tremendous credentials, uh, you know, and so it was uh, an incredible scene to be around and watch that group grow into what it's become. Um, And like you were saying, Reggie, about the, the drummer community there, I have found that to be very much the case everywhere I've lived where the drumming community is very giving, very open, very willing to share ideas, experiences. Yeah. Um, uh, we certainly have an incredible community here in Nashville. That's, uh, is really amazing. One of the things I would say that's been my experience here is a few other places where I've lived, where I've been involved with music. Uh, I've recognized from, the get-go that uh, when you're not in a music city per se, uh, like Nashville, it will take you six months to do with a band what you could do in one night here in Nashville. Like you you could throw four or five guys up on stage right now here in town and we'll play for, you know, four or five hours straight never having played a note of music together before. And that is a, that is something that you just don't see that any place else. Um, And, you know, jam sessions are one thing for sure, but like here it's on a level where, you know, people are hitting the background harmony and stuff like that, that none of it's been rehearsed at all. And I'm sure you've seen that Chad down on Broadway and, you know, it's, yeah, and that's and that's one of the reasons why I left Atlanta, and I'll make it short. But to me, Atlanta's heyday was in in the '90s, <clears throat> late mid late '90s. You yeah. know, Black Crows, Collective Soul started to see the decline in Atlanta as far as people coming out to shows, people supporting music. It's really dying in Atlanta, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and I just saw it. I, I'd invite people to shows. I'd go to. I'd, I'd, I'd trying to push that, and just I saw the Atlanta scene dying. I was like, you know what? Um, you know, I'm, I'm an empty nester. And, um, so I, I've been in Nashville and I've seen, I've made a lot of great friends. I've just been there, you know, since last July in 2019, but I've made a lot of great friends and I, and I found that, you know, people until they met me, you know, cause I'm kind of a goofball as you guys know. And, uh, hmm. you know, they're not too sure about me at first, but I, I, I'm positive. I'm a positive person. I'm a non-confrontational guy and I go out and support and so I, I found, and you're totally right, um, Josh, about the drumming community. I started going to Layla's. That's one of my favorite places on Broadway regularly. And I, I started becoming friends with the, the bartenders and bartenderesses and then drummers. And one night I go out and uh, you guys, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Jerome Dillon yeah. from Columbus, Ohio. Sure. Uh, remember him? Um, yeah, incredible oh, yeah. drummer. Play with Howl and Maggie. Play with Nine Inch Nails for a time, and just this tall, lanky dude. So I walk into Layla's, and there's this guy, and he's he. I think it's I think it's Jerome Dillon. He looks exactly like him, same kind of build, muscular dude, looks tall, and I I I, I start texting 
Jerome Dillon on, on Facebook, which he's not on there because he never responded. I was like, are you in Nashville right now? And I go up and meet this guy. And I go, hey, are, are you Jerome? And he goes, no, I'm, I, my name starts with a J. I'm jo- this guy, Josh Cobb, who you probably know, Josh. Um, maybe no. But um, he, he, like, we talk, we have a good laugh. And he invites, like, within 10 minutes, he's like, well, you want to come up and play? And so, and then, so I, I just started making friends and being kind and, and going to gigs. All of a sudden, you know, I, I just, I feel really welcome to Nashville and um, I'm getting ready to, I was getting ready to play on, um, you know, this great drummer, yeah. Tom Hurst. He hosts yeah. this thing called Loud Jams, him and a great guy named Andrew Dickinson. And I just go and support these things. And, you know, when people figure out that I'm not trying to scam or trying to, you know, take somebody's drum seat over or whatever, I'm, when they figure out I'm actually a good guy, at heart they're like okay he's okay and then they like start inviting you to things and to sit in and it's a really a nashville's a really yeah. welcoming community like that I, 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 to add to that I, I think that one of the reasons why it's so welcoming is there's less jockeying for position there's the, it's a concentrate it's not it's not that, that nashville is anything special than any other town i think it's just a concentrated area where people come and the music industry has evolved and so you have a, a lot of talent in a small area. So it, it doesn't come down necessarily to playing. There's less of a threat by other players. If somebody gets up and sits in and totally, I remember once uh, years ago, Josh, when I was playing, I think with the span third yeah. wheel or something like that. And you came in and sat in and then, uh, and then the, the singer gets on the mic after you're done. He said, Matt, you know, the rule, don't ever let somebody better than you come and sit in. <laughs> Uh, over <laughs> on the mic, you know, in front of it. but it's it's just, it's one of those things where you know it's like yeah you can support each other, but there, you know there there's always there's a lot of competition, but there's also a lot of opportunities, yeah. so there's less threat from each other if that makes sense. Yeah, and because there's so much more to getting work than you're playing, like you don't need insane chops to do ninety percent of the gigs in this town. You need a, a good work ethic. You need good personality. You need you need other skills aside from drumming that yeah. make you hireable. Where in in I mean, in Columbus, there's it, as with any other non music town, and I and I'm, I'm saying that that what makes Nashville special is its location. If you go back to the history of it, the reason why the music industry started is because it was it was easy to get to. Uh, all the publishing houses started here, so you could you could start tours out of here and get to Chicago, get to Atlanta, get to the major cities where there was music. Nashville yeah. wasn't anything special before that time, and we're talking like, you know, 30s and 40s and stuff like that. But Columbus, and I've only, I haven't lived in as many places as, as you guys have, but I just moved from Columbus to Nashville 20 years ago. It was so important just because it still was that Midwest vibe, there was just like you have I, you know Jim Rupp is like the poster child for bringing community together for being like a yeah. good dude um, yeah case in point I got my first red Thomas swing star when I was like in I don't know in middle school or something like that just beat the piss out of the, the drum heads the stock drum heads and they weren't even I mean, Remo wasn't making stock drum heads for drum sets back then. So they were really cheap. And I, I mean, by the time I was done, they looked like Jiffy Pop 
(laughs) (laughs) just pitted and everything so i i I don't know what sizes they are so i go to to this little you know columbus uh columbus percussion center place neil pert tapestry back there with jeff peters and his long yeah playing with saint august and i'm like wow like I go in there and get the Tom heads and everything that I need and, and leave those. I mean, they were just like trashed. I go, I leave the store. I go to, you know, and Jim chases after me with my old drum heads. He's like, Hey, you forgot these. Do you still need these? It's like, they're trash. They're complete trash. But he's like, no, you, you, you know, these are yours. Take them. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's so funny. Uh, you guys just, talking about the the drumming community i i have to say i i felt the same way in la um yeah I, although you know i think the the one thing about nashville um you know i've only played there you know uh you know on on gigs and stuff i haven't lived there uh but you know of course knowing you guys and uh, other musicians that i've met there um you know everybody i've ever met there is incredibly nice and you know la there's some really nice people don't get me wrong um and there's some really the drumming community um was really great as well um you know i i remember maybe two months after i moved out there um there were um two guys that were actually three guys um, that were just incredibly helpful helpful and super nice um and remain as friends to this day, uh, Trevor Lawrence Jr., um, who uh, has been playing drums for Dr. Dre for I don't know how many years. And he's also doing stuff or has done stuff with uh, Leanne Rimes. And he also subs for Vinnie Caliuta with, with Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Dear Lord. Uh, right. When when I when I moved out there, man, he was so nice and like just I hooked me up with, I think I subbed some gigs for him. Um, and we just hung, he kind of gave me the, the lay of the land and, um, Trevor was incredibly nice. Is that the cat that that got you that, that gig that I saw you in Atlanta on and that you were on the tonight show with or something? Yeah, exactly. What what was that refresher memory on that? That was, uh, uh, what's her name? Truth hurts. India something. Oh, Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Truth hurts. Um, she was signed to Dre's label, and Trevor couldn't do it. He recommended me, and uh, it was funny. I was uh, on tour with on tour with Diane at the Blue Note uh, when I got that call, and I think I had like three days to get back home, uh, pack some clothes, and then I think that was like a three month thing. Um, but he couldn't do it, recommended me for that, rehearsing that center staging. Um, I think we were rehearsing for like three weeks. We were going out for this smoke, uh, this MTV Smoking Grooves tour, which was a blast because that was with uh, The Roots and uh, Outkast nice. and CeeLo. Um, and uh, they, the, the, the NBC called the label looking for a last minute feel. Uh, and we got the call, went in um, and did the taping. And, you know, I was, I was super happy for that opportunity. Um, and, you know, for me, it was great because, you know, uh, I'm doing this, you know, straight ahead gig with Diane. And then I get to go do like this hip hop thing. Yeah, um, but again, that was just 
through you know the the community of uh, of drummers um uh, two other people uh, that i i really have to mention will kennedy was incredibly nice and 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 gracious Mm -hmm. Uh, right (laughs) and then um another drummer who i uh, just ran into um i did a uh a jazz festival in indonesia and uh the drummer michael white um he mostly does session work now and has been for probably 10 years in la um but um yeah he he ran into him um met him literally a friend of mine called him and said hey my buddy is just moved to la can you you know take care of him show him around and he invited me to a session he was doing and we talked and this was shortly after he had just done some tracks for uh steely dan's uh two against nature record yeah wow and that was it was that was awesome he kind of gave me the uh the the story on which i probably everybody's probably heard the story about uh gad on the uh um Asia, Asia. Uh, session uh, like Josh was saying you know probably that's the great thing about drummers we're all you know here to just just help everyone out now I will say um, in my experience uh, uh, every festival whether it be with Dr. John or with Diane or any other artist any musicians or bands that I've ever heard from Nashville Every single one can play. Everybody, I swear, everybody in Nashville can play their butts off. I, I, I mean, I don't think. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, there's great players in L.A., New York, Atlanta, um, and uh, Dallas, Houston. But in terms, like Josh was saying, in terms of like, like every musician on the stage, right? It's. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it where everybody is like killing and everybody is working together um even if they've never played together before everybody is working together to make the music sound as best as it can um yeah so yeah and and nobody's from here i mean they all they're all coming from atlanta or maybe there's something about la that isn't working for them and so they're they're coming to nashville you know i mean it's it's it, it it has been it had a, a second wave you know it had its wave in the 90s and and i think it it's ebbed and flowed and up until this pandemic yeah. thing it was still rocking <laughs> yeah and that's and that's <laughs> let's talk about that just for a quick moment i want to get back to the fun stuff but you know the whole industry yeah. is paralyzed right now and, it, and it's you know i i moved to nashville and and um you know, landed this rock band teaching thing for the day during the day to kind of get my feet settled and have some, you know, cash to pay bills. And so that music network working, starting to meet people, going out, supporting other musicians and drummers. And uh, I have met a lot of people that are from Nashville, mostly the pickers that I found. Um, yeah. There's a guy named Charlie Goodtime, who's a, a incredible, <laughs> incredible musician. And um, all, all the people that, that, that play at Layla's, um, the the Rishi sisters, the Rishi family, you you guys probably know heard of them mm-hmm. and Lily May and yeah play with Jack White and yeah. her sisters are talented, their brothers talented, um they're they're from that area but um you know now that everything's paralyzed it's just like you know let's let's throw some thoughts around on that I mean I know we're gonna hopefully get back to somewhat some kind of a normal I don't know what that's gonna be but everything's on hold yeah, right I 
Yeah. Well, there's there's resources you can yeah. access. Music Cares is a place you can go. Um, I actually applied for some assistance yeah. for the Academy of Country Music, and they were uh, they were able to help along with some other friends of mine. Um, there's places you can find. There's forums on Facebook, uh, whether it's you know like through the union um, or you know the, the the union here is is pretty good and healthy um i should say for the record i'm not a member but once we're through all this stuff i probably will become a member because dave pomeroy has done an incredible job advocating for all musicians including uh, a lot of musicians that work on lower broadway that doesn't always get the respect it deserves so he's done a good job and so there's different resources across the country and then of course if the unemployment thing comes through and I mean, depending on where you live in the country, if your governor is accepting what the federal government is laying down, you could get assistance there. Josh, how about you on this pandemic situation? I was actually on the tour bus uh, when our management uh, company called and just said, turn the bus around and go back home. Uh, And at that point they were just canceling like that weekend of shows. Um, but by the time we got back to Nashville, they had canceled the following week. And then like two days later, they canceled the rest of the month. And then it was, you know, the rest, you know, then April. And it's kind of interesting right now. They, they have not officially canceled dates in May. Um, but I'm anticipating that, that those will go away as well. I do have to say that uh, the guy I work with right now, Ward Davis, his his fans are incredibly loyal, um, su- supportive folks, um, and so there has been a lot of awesome, a lot of love thrown our way by uh, by his fan base, uh, which is really cool. Um, there are a few other. Good. You know, like Matt said, the Music Cares and the Academy of Country Music have some uh, found uh, some funds. Uh, the Jazz Foundation of America is another one I applied for, um, and there's a few others that that are out there um, that you know are s- specific to the needs right now. Um, obviously, I think it's I think it's safe to say that since we were one of the first industries to be shut off we're probably one of the last industries that's going to be able to come back and the, yeah certainly the way it was, the way it was yeah. we are we are in discussions right yeah. now with um a club here called third and lindsley um to do an online show from there um and just trying to find some other ways you know some of the guys are doing their own facebook live stuff um, me just being simply a drummer, it's a little tougher to, to, to do a solo show by, uh, Scotty reached out to me gotcha. yesterday. Cool. Uh, there's another drummer here in town, Scotty Schultz, really great player. I've known Scotty for, I don't know, seven or eight years. He was working with, um, Shooter Jennings when I first met him. Um, and Scotty's a really great player and he and his girlfriend have come up with this, uh, it's an online drum forum called 19 drummer festival. It's on Facebook and each weekend they feature, uh, four, four drummers on Saturday and then four on Sunday. Um, and I'm going to be one of the featured guys this weekend. I'm not sure what my 
time slot is just yet, but it's it's an opportunity for us to nice. you know exchange ideas, do a little playing, um, talk about your experiences, I guess, and uh, uh, it's it's all over the map. I'm gonna uh, I did a short interview with him, and it's we're gonna feature it on tomorrow's episode with uh, working drummer podcast but it, it's 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 educational stuff it's telling stories it's uh it, it's players of all levels it's players mm-hmm. from all over the country it's not just nashville uh so it's an opportunity for because we we all work with singers and singer songwriters that sit there and do the virtual paypal or virtual tip jar with paypal and venmo and um and some people are able to share the love with their with their drummers and stuff like that but this is a chance for drummers to get on there and uh, just do their thing or play or play covers or play solos or do a clinic style. And um, so it's, it's really kind of an open forum. And some people who maybe aren't in dire straits financially use it as a forum to contribute and donate to actually music cares. So for some people it's, it's a, it's a small income stream for other people. It's uh, a chance to uh, donate. Well, that's great. And I, I, um, I love all those, you know, I, I did a little country music jam, a live Facebook stream with two great guys, Charlie Goodtime, who I mentioned earlier, and a banjo player by the name of Charles Butler, who actually oh. is also from Ohio, I learned. Um, but nice. the thing that the thing, the one thing that gets me is it's, it's tough, right? I, I think I did that. And I did a little live drum thing. And I'm going to do some other stuff coming up, but uh, on live Facebook, but that just helps me feel normal again, you know? Yeah. And, and for, for me, cause I'm not touring with any, any names right now or anybody. Um, but what I, what I want to m- mention is as devil's advocate, it just, there's this other thing. And I, I get up on my soapbox on this program where, you know, there's, there's that, that crowd out there that, and it's great to hear that Josh, that you guys got, has yeah. some support from, from wards people. And that's, that's awesome. But there's that other crowd of people out there. It's like, well, I'm on Facebook. Music is free. I, why do I have to send a tip? You know, I, you know, it just, it gets me on how many people think music should be free. And, and that, and that, and I I like to just, you know, I, I hope that during this time when music has gone away and the shows have gone away and the tours have gone away, that people, when we get back to it, you know, people can be a little bit more appreciative, you know, those, those people that that um, you've invited to a gig a hundred times and haven't been out yet, and they live right down the street, always have an excuse why they don't come out to support a local group or something. That doesn't always happen in Nashville, but that was mostly in Atlanta. One of the reasons I left Atlanta, um, you know, just people think, well, well, music should be free, you know, but they'll pay 190 bucks to go see Justin Timberlake downtown and pay 30 bucks for parking. But, you know, can you give five bucks to the music cares? Can you give 10 bucks to the tip line on Venmo on live Facebook? And people just don't sometimes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I guess uh, for, for me, um, have, having thinking about this, the, that whole just like you're talking about, just the the lack of value for music. Um, and I think, you know, as we all know, that 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 really started, um, you know, with the whole file sharing with Napster way back in the day. Uh, and I think, you know, we now have a, a generation of people who have never really paid for music. Um, yeah. So 
I, I think the the flip now is for us, uh, for the music industry, uh, for musicians is, um, and it's so funny, uh, I was listening to Vinny Caliuta's podcast, uh, and he was talking about this uh, on one of his episodes, where, you know, as a band now, it's like, in order to sell your music, you have to be, uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, you have to like be a fashion Nova and sell hats and design t-shirts. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not, not knocking that, but his, his point is that, you know, those things are valuable and people see the value in that, but why don't people see the value in the music? And, um, Chad, like you were talking, you know, uh, people will spend, you know, five bucks on a cup of coffee, but they don't want to spend 99 cents for a track. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I think f- now for us, it's, it's, it's more about, okay, so how can we um, show the value of music and potentially this time could be it, <laughs> you know, this, this could be the time um, to where, um, you know, people um, with with not having the opportunity to see live music or, you know, the opportunity to not go to a festival, um, you know, this might be the Makes time them more where aware. people. Ex- exactly. Yeah. exactly. It might be. A, yeah, I'm hoping it's a big reset button as 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 much as everything else is a reset button right now for the environment and everything uh, else. I know, was just going to say that. Happy Earth Day. So, uh, hey, happy Earth Day. <laughs> yeah, happy Earth Day. <laughs> But, no, it is. No, it's funny. The parallels are, are amazing. Like you see what's happening with the environment and how it's recovering. It's like how it's manifesting itself and revealing how much of an impact our activity has w- the way everything as we're social distancing, doing everything. You're, there's probably an opportunity for the entertainment industry to have a hard reset and for the yes. general public to then recognize the value of of entertainment of all forms but especially live entertainment and how easily accessible it used to be and now now that it's not the important thing is that we don't allow ourselves or our our community to devalue our craft devalue our work and uh, but reggie to your point it is it you're so right about this whole generation and i've got two sons 15 and almost 18 now and I think about their record collection. They, I don't think they've ever bought a CD in their life. Or right. <laughs> now, granted, it's kind of an exception when you when you live in a house where, where there's a musician. Right. Especially like Josh, you probably experienced this too. Your dad probably had a music collection that was there in the house, or your oh yeah, you understood the value of music. But even so, like we pay for subscriptions, we pay for, you know, Stitcher and Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. So we have access to streaming. They're not they're not using iTunes to listen to music. They're, we're paying for it. Um, but yeah, it. I, I think that when we come back, things are going to be different. But I think this is the this is the optimist in me. It's it's going to be strong. It's going to be uh, it's going to take a while. I think uh, but I think people are going to realize, in theory, we are not the essential uh, essential needs of of the community, but we are. I think I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I think 
there will be at least, um, and again, I'm an optimist. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. once, you know, we're able to slowly start to uh, go back to um, doing some of the things that we did, um, I think one of the, the big things is going to be that, you know, people are going to want to um, go out and, you know, hang out and be entertained, whether that be, you know, uh, going to a club and then maybe, you know, the, the club actually has to mark out, you know, X's on the floor, you know, it's Mm -hmm. where you can stand and everybody's six feet apart, uh, for a while, or maybe it's, you know, an outdoor festival. Um, but I think people are going to want to do that. The Matt, the other thing, um, you were talking about that as far as like, you know, a reset, I would love it. Uh, if with this time, uh, the music industry, I would love to see the music industry um, actually put together a lobbying group. Um, Cause one of the other things that Vinny was talking about in, in his podcast was uh, yeah, like we do have this, you know, well now there's a generation where they're paying for music, but it's, they're paying for access to music. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like iMusic yeah. or, uh, and, and they can, right, you right. know, they can, they can listen to whatever songs and they only pay whatever it is, five bucks a month or, um, but you know, the issue is, you know, well, how much is, are, are the artists, uh, receiving out of that? Um, you know, and it, it, I, I can't remember what the latest number is per stream, mm-hmm. the revenue is, but you know, but it's, it's not good. I know that it's not good, but you know, who's making out like bandits, the record labels are, they're making yeah. more money now than they were before when they were selling hard items. So really? it's not about, yeah, yeah, man. I've got people that work in the industry here and I was like, what is the deal with streaming? Like I see songwriters, like you go back five years ago, 10 years ago, songwriters were like, Hey man, write a hit song mailbox go out in your mailbox collect money you don't have to work you know right. play five gigs a week well in recent years songwriter friends who had hits on with major they're struggling i was making more money playing just playing you know as a side guy than they were uh because the roles had been reversed but the labels there it's like their negotiating skills they're contracting with streaming services like spotify they made out like bandits. So it's not access to, we're not going back to CDs. Right. It's, it, you know, that, that type of, uh, um, the way we access music and entertainment, uh, is we, the music industry has to stay, keep up with technology. Right. It's always a decade behind for some reason. Well, let me, let me dive in there too. So, um, being a, being a teacher, stuff like that, I've seen, been following the the careers of some very young musicians the 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 up and coming you know 17 18 19 20 21 year old groups and actually on the diy scene not the label scene yeah you know that's the reason why uh you know vinyl's still around and cds are still around but also recently cassettes and you've probably seen this but if the the indie the indie rock bands there's there's a band out of Atlanta called Lunar Vacation. A couple of them are former students of mine. And there's another band that's bigger out of Chicago called Beach Bunny. And a lot of these bands, they're huge now, but a lot of these bands, DIY started that way and they make their money uh, on, you know, bandcamp.com or whatever 
And, um, you know, you wonder why CDs are still even around. And I see them at shows. You don't really see this much with the, with a lot of the big mainstream artists or the label artists. Yeah. But but um, I think the DIY scene is really helping. You know, that's why vinyl's still around. And and even it's crazy. Uh, you go to Grimey's in Nashville and you go downstairs and there's a whole <laughs> wall of brand new cassette tapes of bands. And it's like, and because kids, young kids can go to a show, they don't have a lot of money. And so they get, you know, 10 bucks to get in and then it's five bucks for a tape and they can take something home. You know, it's easy. And so um, it's interesting to see that on the, on that, on the indie side, those formats are still around. Whereas on the other side, on the big label stuff, not, you know, you, you see like targets, target and Walmart, you know, selling less and less compact discs and that section gets smaller and smaller every time I go in there. Well, maybe that's the new formula. Maybe, you know, the, the indie market is kind of redefining how, how people are, are doing it. And, and again, you know, you hear about people that make a living because, you know, you think of the starving artist barely struggling and then the people on major stadium tours. We all know there's thousands mm-hmm. of opportunities mm-hmm. everywhere in between that. Yeah. You know, right. it's, it's not one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions, you guys. We've we've been uh, we, it's been time flies when you're having fun. We're we're 65 minutes into this, so um, I got a couple of quick questions. And of course, we got to touch on this and and make it make it as brief as you can. But uh, 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 2020 started up really crappy with the loss of Neil Peart. Was a shock to everybody. And uh, let's mm. let's go around the table. The first time you heard Rush, Matthew. Okay, I'll, I'll try and keep this brief. But you know, during during this time, the pandemic, a lot of people are being very nostalgic, and so they're listening to stuff uh, that they, you know, just to kind of like feel good feel good about a, a time before all the the shit hit the fan. And so it it's made me think about like what was, and especially like Josh, I have to apologize. You're one of the people on Facebook yeah. that said, "Hey, top ten records that impacted your life," and I think of like my discovery of of cassettes and and so i think for me it was my friends down the street his big brother had exit stage left and um it was like chicago four on one side and exit stage left on the other and i'm just like what is this you know this is before i actually got a drum set so that's why my first drum set was a red tama kit because you know it's like i wanted to play and then i think i put moving pictures on in my living room when i first set up my first drum set so that was that was a heavy thing and it's still hard for me to think that he's gone um and i i'll I'll just finish by saying this the week that he died i got and my parents don't we don't communicate a whole lot but i actually got a text from my mom and my dad that said hey we heard i saw on the news that neil died i knew he was a big influence on you how are you doing like, yeah. like, wow. like, like my dog died or something like that, you know? And yeah, yeah. It, it, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was my, uh, tough, well, first man. of all, uh, yeah, my, uh, sure. my Josh, <laughs> Matt's, Matt's parents reached out to him. My ex-girlfriend reached out to me to see how I was doing. <laughs> it, yeah. Josh's, Josh's ex-girlfriend Why? reached out to me. I mean, that's, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I think your mom gave me. I can't remember. <laughs> wow. yeah. um, to address the rush question there, yes. Uh, uh, it would have been in the uh, back of a uh, youth group tour bus with Matt 
and Matt had his little Walkman and he put his, he said, man, you got to hear this. And he, so I put the headphones on and it was the, the solo off of YYZ. Um, so that was the very first thing I ever heard of Neil was that drum solo and it, yeah, off of Exit Stage Left. So it, it, it definitely um, was a game changer. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it completely opened my eyes to, you know, I think at that point, uh, Columbus percussion had just, just opened, maybe been open for a year or so. Um, and they, you know, Matt mentioned the, the Neil tapestry that they had in the back there. I think it's still, it's wow. still there. Well, yeah, it's still you know, there. that's a, uh, oh, wow. that and the, the animal puppet were two things from Columbus percussion that I, I hope they always kept, uh, that it, it definitely, it, yep. it changed my life when I heard him play. Now I certainly don't aspire to play necessarily, you know, in the style that he plays in per se, but, uh, but <laughs> you want to work. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we, I think at, all, at some point we all, you know, learned something from him and, and weren't, you know, the first time I heard it, I was, we used to have, I, I went for half a year. I went to Dover park school in Dover, Ohio, and it's fifth grade. And we, uh, our teacher used to let us play records Friday mornings and, this new kid comes in and, and, you know, we listen to kiss and cheap trick, the normal, you know, stuff. And no one had ever heard rush. And this new kid comes in and you know what it's like in the classroom when a new kid comes in and the teacher's like, Hey class, uh, you know, so-and-so's we're going to let him play his record today. His new, we were like, boo, you know, like, who's this guy? And he brings in rush moving pictures. And I'm like, who's that? I'm like, we don't want to hear that. You know? And um, Josh drops, was... <laughs> in, drops the needle on Tom yeah. Sawyer, and I, I I remember just earth shattering, just and I was like, what? Who who did you say that was again, man? You know, this like freaked out, and um and I never saw Rush until years later, my first time in 1990 with a guy named Josh Berkheimer. <laughs> We got in a car with Tim Bradley and some other guy. I and, do. Uh, we, we, and that we, was, we uh, the other guy was uh, a friend of Matt Krauss and I, uh, Troy Henley was his name. One thing I, other thing I remember that Matt, you'll find this funny. I know Pat Torpe is, is a great drummer, but that night opening up for Mr. Big, I don't know if his tech was <laughs> off. He whiffed like the symbol, like five times. Like he oh, missed wow. the symbol. <laughs> so like, like, it was embarrassing because you're opening up for Neil Peart. And I, I just felt I was young, of course. What did I know? But I was just like, oh, my God, that, he just whiffed another symbol. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> hey, so, so you know, Pat Torpy passed away about a year ago, uh, Parkinson's. And I remember I, I talked to him about that tour, that Presto tour, seeing and they added a they added an extra show at Clipper Stadium. And okay. uh, he said that he remembered that show in 1990. Because he and Getty got the baseball gloves out, and because Getty was a baseball fan, he goes so. He goes, I remember that show. Those guys were the nicest guys to tour with. Yeah, obviously, I'm the big jerk on this episode because I didn't know Pat passed away either. But you know, these are all memories. Uh, sure. That I have. So, yeah. yeah. You know, some of them, some of the memories are actually true. Um, <laughs> Reggie, what about you uh, here in Rush? You know, for me, uh, it was funny it was tom sawyer and i remember hearing that um uh as a kid um 
and I didn't, I didn't know, I, I didn't know anything about drummers or bands. I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, playing in church, I literally started playing in church when I was like seven years old, hanging out with, uh, my mom and my, my grandmother, uh, you know, there were there was basically classical music and gospel music <laughs> being played. Although, um, whenever I got to hang out with some of my aunts and uncles, um, you know, got to hear you know uh, some just great uh, funk bands, you know, uh, some other music. And then a guy who my mom was married to at the time uh, was really into classic rock. I just remember hanging with him one day and hearing Tom Sawyer. And I just remember thinking, man, this, this is so cool. What is this? And um, so I, you know, I just remembered the name of the song. Um, And I don't think it was until um, I was uh, maybe in middle school and, you know, in band and one of, uh, my classmates, uh, played that song. Um, and I just remember like, Oh, Hey, what is this? You know? And he goes, Oh, that's Tom Sawyer's, you know, that's rush. And I'm like, who's the drummer? He's like, Oh, that's Neil Pert. Like Neil Pert. (laughs) He's like, Oh, you don't know who that is. I'm like, no. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, again, kind of bringing it, you know, full circle, uh, when I started working at um, Columbus Percussion, um, I think I was like 15 or 16. My high school had like an internship program. Um, I think I, I saw, um, I don't know if it was a video or maybe, you know, uh, one of the guys there, Jeff Hartso or Jeff Peters or Sam Hoff or, you know, somebody was playing it and then, you know, just being able to be there, being with other drummers just allowed me to, to ask, you know, you know, who is that guy? And then from there, you know, started, you know, checking out Rush uh, along with, you know, a ton of other stuff. But man, Neil Peart uh, was just a, an incredible drummer and what he added uh, to that group um, musically, you know, will just be a huge influence uh, for a bunch, yeah. a bunch of us for, for many years. Forever. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, whether people, whether or not people subscribe to his style of playing, you know, and, and we all can, can lay down the critiques of, of things that, uh, that don't really apply to, you know, a working musician. I, I think the one thing that's undeniable is how much he inspires and uh yeah. and and that that's kind of the biggest takeaway not only yeah. as a player but as a as a writer as a prolific creative individual uh, as an intellectual you know and that goes beyond the music and goes beyond the drumming so like e- even if you don't like that's not your thing you, there's so much to take away from it um exactly just reminded me of had amazing opportunity to talk to Peter Erskine about teaching Neil. And the, one of the funniest things that he said, which he didn't mean, didn't mean to be funny, but it was really funny to me. Erskine and his just really just kind of dull tone. He goes, I wasn't, uh, 
familiar <laughs> with the Rush Cannon per se. <laughs> I'm, like, uh, I'm just I'm cracking up inside. <laughs> Listening to the former drummer of Weather Report saying, I wasn't familiar with the Rush Cannon. I'm like, you're such a dork, man. Oh, right, man. right. <laughs> Well, I just got to tell a quick Erskine story, Reggie man, because so years ago he came and played and my dad was playing with him. I don't remember if it was with uh, Columbus Jazz Orchestra or what. But anyway, my dad was like, hey, man, do you have any questions you want me to ask him? And at that time, I've been listening to uh, the Jaco Pastorius birthday concert uh, CD a lot that has about an 18 minute version of invitation that said about 300. I mean, it's flying as fast as it can go. And it starts with a four bar snare drum fill from Erskine. And it's going by so fast that I just, I don't even know how many times trying to, you know, sit down and figure out what it was. So I just, yeah, have him transcribe. uh, Tell me what the heck he played on the beginning of invitation took his business card and on the back of his business card he he wrote it out in four four and in cut time for me <laughs> and i'm like good grief dude <laughs> i still have it oh yeah but uh wow yeah i was like all right well that solved that wow you know, that's amazing that problem for me because i just it wasn't once i saw it written out i was like oh yeah you dummy of course that's what he's doing i got a quick erskine story and i i Years ago, you guys were probably there at Ohio State when he he did a clinic during PAS, and I think it, well, I don't know if it, no, it was it was just a PS downtown, and I got up on stage to to play, and I did this little, you know, I was in my, I thought I knew what I was doing with swing, and um, I I did this thing, I played like eight eight bars of this, and then did like a two bar drum fill and eight bars of this, and and he was he was very gentle with me, he could have tore me a new a hole, but he was like explained like you know well you're playing you're playing and then there's an event you're playing you're playing and then there's an event he's like you need to think about it more fluidly you know as you mm. play it's not he and he, he kind of taught me something he really is a great educator yeah and i took that back and, you know and, and after i played the audience was really nice and clapped whether in sympathy or not i don't know but um apathy whatever and uh but he was very gentle so i that picture of us was on the pas uh newsletter the next year and like front center on the cover it's it's i'm sitting at the drums and peter erskine's leaning over me and says erskine teaches an intent drummer whatever well last year erskine came here to atlanta and he was playing with um i don't know it was, it was just and it was it was a beautiful facility over at emory university and i went down there and i brought him a copy of the picture and just for fun as a kick i autographed it and gave it to him <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, Peter, I go, Peter, I have your autograph on several albums. I'm like, you don't have mine yet. So here you go. <laughs> now, he didn't think it was that funny, of course, because you know him. But I'm hoping yeah. he got a laugh later and found the humor. Right. But uh, I'm thinking you were gonna re- probably ended re- up in the trash can. I thought maybe you were going to recreate the picture. <laughs> right, right, you know. right. Well, I did that. Yeah, I did that with Vinny Apice. If you saw, oh, yeah, episode. that was great. Check out episode one of uh, of the podcast here. What keeps you going, Josh? Man, you know what? I do it all for the ladies. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. That like Matt, I, um, yeah. I think I've taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! My mom says hi. By the way, woo. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, it's definitely uh, been Drummers, a tremendous opportunity for me to um, 
catch my breath. I mean, I just thought about, I, I took stock of this, uh, over the weekend. In fact, um, you know, just the last three years, uh, I've been, I've, <laughs> I've moved clear across the country three times. I've, I've moved, uh, anyway, I've, I've been to, uh, over 25 countries from like Europe to Africa to Central America, you know, Mexico, Canada, and I've played in 40 out of the 50 states, including Alaska and Hawaii. It's been insanity. Um, and, and so this has given me a chance to catch my breath a little bit. And like Matt was saying, it's like, uh, what do I want to work on? What do I want to get better at? And cause I feel like, as much as I want to challenge society um, to be better at being human on the other side of this, I want to challenge myself too to be better at everything that I do. Um, so this is definitely a clean slate opportunity to uh, to get better um, at everything. And and I think and I feel like the folks that seize that opportunity now are the ones that are going to be successful on the other side of this. Um, but really the, I feel more of a, um, I feel more of a sense of urgency here to take advantage of this time. I'm not going to say it's really a, I mean, it's kind of a gift of sorts an unwelcome gift a little bit. Um, but also just, a a real opportunity to have a, I feel like a good clean slate moving forward. Yeah, I think it's a great. I think it's yeah. un, unwelcome, un, unexpected, but it's a it's a it's a reset button, and for everybody and yeah. how we use it, what we do with it, will help determine what what's going to happen going forward. Uh, Reggie, uh, yeah, keeps you going, man. Um, like you know, like all you guys, uh, like Matt, you know, uh, Bills, Josh, you know, <laughs> the ladies, you know, I'm 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 trying to keep my wife <laughs> married to me. Um, you know, uh, I was I was playing music. I was playing drums. I, I think that's what attracted her to me. So trying to keep that attraction going. And uh, <laughs> no, honestly, uh, yeah, for, for me, just like you guys, I mean, um, it's just uh, this time has allowed me to. Uh, well, one. Um, I, I've been working on, uh, I did a MIDI track of this, uh, Alan Holdsworth tune. Uh, I used to play with this fusion band that's no longer playing, but I was like, okay, Hey, I've always wanted to practice that tune. So, uh, I did a MIDI track. I, I had a buddy, uh, play bass on it. Cause my MIDI bass part was, uh, not happening. Um, but I've worked on that. Um, I literally, um am in my uh studio putting together a, a desk um for a audio interface that's being delivered today i'm i'm diving into mm-hmm. uh trying to do the home recording thing um yeah man and you know get that together i'm excited about you know uh hearing my recording myself more frequently uh and battling mm-hmm. my depression uh, with my plane. Um, and hopefully <laughs> I can, uh, <laughs> I can actually feel better, uh, about my plane, uh, than I do, but no, really, I, I just see this as a great time to, uh, you know, dive into things that, um, 
I haven't before, whether it be because of like Matt was saying, you know, like I, I don't have to like learn a bunch of music for any upcoming gigs. Um, so, you know, now's the time to, uh, yeah, uh, learn a bunch of new skills in addition to, uh, yeah, just trying mm-hmm. to continue to, to get better. Um, you know, uh, whether it be, yeah. you know, working on my, uh, Brazilian stuff or, you know, my Afro-Cuban <laughs> stuff or, you know, uh, uh Brazilian <laughs> wax. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, had to throw that out there. I'm just kidding. Yes, yes. But uh, that's right on. Well, I'm you know, I've I've got this really cool. A couple years ago I made a great purchase. Uh bought a Mevo camera. And um on my, my Instagram, you know, I just started building this whole Instagram page and I started going out in front of murals and just doing beats, just fun beats, being silly, being goofy, being myself. And that really got me uh some attention on Instagram, you know, and, and kind of built this thing. I'm like, hey, this is really fun. You know, I don't have to take the whole kit out. And in fact, when we're done here in a little bit, I'm going out today to hit a bunch of really cool murals in Atlanta for a couple of hours. Now I'm at the point, it's, it's, it's exciting to be in Nashville, be an empty nester to do things. And I'm, I just uh, keep going and keep, I love, I love people. I'm, I'm a social butterfly. I love uh, humor. I love, um, you know, just getting together with people. And like I said before, people naturally, like they get, they eye me up and down. Like, who is this guy? You know, he's kind of a goofball. And that's just who I am. But uh, I love I love having fun and being a good 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 guy with musicians, getting to know different musicians, not just drummers, you know. And the thing that I really like about being in Nashville is I'm primarily, as you guys know, I, I'm a rocker slash you know jazz learner still in progress, and I've been you know swinging for a while. But um, you know, to be, to be placed in Nashville is such a refreshing thing for me because. I'm learning so much more about Americana, about country, about bluegrass. And my really favorite genre is old school honky tonk and old school bluegrass, which a lot of it doesn't have drums in. But, you know, at the most, you're playing train beats with brushes. But it's such a beautiful outlet for me yeah. now. So refreshing. ACDC yeah. swings just as hard as Kevin Yes. Yeah. Hey. Josh, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, Chad, you, I mean, I know you say you learn a lot, but if have you had anybody tell you, know, have you had anybody say, bless your heart? <laughs> no, no, not, I know what that means. I'm from, I've been in Atlanta. Okay. Years. I know what that means. <laughs> I'm just checking on you, man. I'm just That's checking so on you. That's so good. Um, all right, let's, let's circle back around. We're going to end with this name, name one person one person your your biggest influence from the cowtown days maybe a mentor or somebody name mm. that person i'll go uh von weister he was my teacher at capital when he was there and um and and that was all well and good but it was afterwards that i played in his big band for two and a half years and his passion for music and respect for music and always wanting to make sure that you enjoyed what you were doing and enjoyed music was first and foremost. And I still subscribe to a lot of his mm-hmm. philosophy. Josh, who was your Columbus, Ohio mentor? Um, I'd probably stay, say Bob Bryhoff. Uh, I studied nice. with Bob Josh? starting in uh, fifth grade um, all the way through high school. Um, and, you know, I, my time there with him, uh, he really helped me get my, my technique 
together, my repertoire together, uh, you know, and I, um, I'll, I will always be really grateful to him for, for those, you know, those years, probably, I guess about eight years worth of private lessons with him. And, uh, it just helped me get, get all of my stuff together on not just drum set, but I mean, gosh, I think the first, we probably didn't even touch a drum set for the first year of lessons. It was all on a practice pad. And just you go here, be, paint the fence. Yeah, very much. Yeah, awesome. Reggie? Um, I, I, <clears throat> I'm going to try and be really quick, only because I, I, I would be remiss if I there's, – there's two people I really have to mm -hmm. mention. Um, the first being uh, Bobby Floyd, uh, who uh, has – for now – and I, I actually – play with Bobby and as a shameless plug um, if you guys want to check out we do a live stream on Thursdays and Sundays Thursday night is the piano trio Sunday nights is the organ trio uh, you can go to bluevelvetroom.com but Bobby um, you know has he's been doing a jam session here in Columbus he was doing it when I was a in, in high school um, and so I'm just I continue to learn from him uh, every night when every time we play, uh, he never we never have a set list. Even if we have a set list, it's not necessarily the order of songs. Um, everything is true improvisation, spontaneity. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter wh where we go musically. He's down for that. The other person I have to mention is a uh, great drummer, uh, Billy Brown who's long uh, left us, but I just, he was one of the biggest influences was when I was a kid playing a jam session that Gene Walker uh, was leading. I had just played um, and I, you know, did a little solo and the crowd was very generous and, and clapped. And then I see this old guy come in and uh, he comes in and, comes and sits in and I swear it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. He was playing behind the rest of the band and he would drop these bombs. And, you know, for, uh, for those of you who don't know jazz dropping bombs is just accenting the music with, uh, uh, your kick drum and usually a simple crash or sometimes just a kick. But anyway, he would he was doing it in such a musical way that he had the audience screaming his name <laughs> while he was playing behind another soloist. It wasn't even his solo. He's playing behind wow. somebody else and they're screaming his name. It was the most <laughs> absolute insane thing I had ever seen. Um, and it just really made me rethink, uh, you know, um, what it was to to um you know how you can actually influence and help uh elevate the music from not the solo mm -hmm. position but as a sideman nice that's awesome well reggie next time you drop a bomb will you scream my <laughs> 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 just, i have i was actually trying to hurry up to go drop a bomb in yeah class. but um i'm just kidding he's turtling right <laughs> <laughs> But it, but in all seriousness, my uh, uh, mine is uh, um, the you know again being a young young aspiring drummer and, and learning about jazz and diving headfirst and um, 
when when Joe Ong oh, man, uh, yeah. chose me to be in the in the second jazz ensemble with the great Hank Mar- Hank Marvelous Mar. Yeah. Um, that man, Hank Marvelous Mar. I learned so much from him as far as his kindness. You know, I I was just this kid probably playing too many Weckle licks on the on the bandstand, um, and he was so kind to me. And I remember one time he was playing somewhere downtown he invited all the students out and he let us all sit in he let me sit in and um everybody else he, the kindest smile he taught me a lot about i guess i would say instant forgiveness or just you know things that happen on the bandstand where he never once you know never once was it a scene from whiplash or even close you know right where you know he was so he would just smile and move on if there was a mistake or somebody else you know, we're all college kids. We, we kind of know, you know, where other instructors might have lost it. You know, he was always the kindest, most genuine, forgiving yeah. soul. And, uh, you know, he had that incredible organ uh, trio uh, back in the 50s and 60s, was on the King record label. And he says all this history. And if, if you guys out there don't know Hank Marvelous Mar, look him up. I mean, he, he would just and I didn't learn as much about what he did until like after. You right. Know? Uh, I was with, I was, but I was in his band for about two years. And, and then um, right after that, Ferez Witted came in, he was, he was my instructor there. And he was really kind because he gave me a really great um, recommendation letter that he hand wrote. And I still have it to this day. And just people that, you know, when you're young, when you're trying to learn people that inspire you and show mm-hmm. kindness nice. and, and grace. And uh, that was Hank Marr and uh, Ferez mm-hmm. Witted to that, to that point. Nice. Well, you guys, it's been a blast. Uh, so Reggie, it sounds like you're going to have to come up to Nashville, buddy. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I will, yeah, man. I will do that as, as soon as uh, yeah we can we can travel <laughs> again. Uh, well, Reggie, you're the only one in this group that hasn't slept in my house. So um, oh, cool. <laughs> we got space for you, and you right. know Liz would love to see you, man. Oh man, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm, I'm I'm there. It'd be be great to to see all you guys. And you know what? I, I, I will say this. Um, you all are really just another uh, group of inspiration for me. Um, all that you guys do, have done, and are going to do. Um, it really has inspired me to, mm-hmm. to, to do some of the stuff I'm, I'm diving into now, you know, so uh, you know, keep keep doing what you guys are doing. Uh, it it is not um, uh, in vain. Uh, people, you are influencing people who you have no idea. Uh, so you know, man. If anything, yeah. I just want to encourage you guys keep doing your thing. And uh, this is a, a blast. Okay, so Matt, Matt, you got to tell Reggie your best, your funny memory story from Columbus Pro Percussion. You know which one I'm talking about. When, when the girl from next door to the hair salon came in with the baby. <laughs> the... <laughs> what? Okay. You know, the hair salon next door. I got two stories. A white girl from the salon comes in with an African-American baby. <laughs> the baby. And Chad turns and goes, Reggie! <laughs> My other story, my other story is, Reggie, you and I were sitting together on the plane to fly to um, uh, the East Coast, wherever the Zildjian factory was. Oh, to Boston. Yeah. To Boston. And the flight was waiting. We were just waiting there on the tarmac. And there's a mom with a young boy in front of us. 
And, you know, she's trying to keep the kid entertained and from going crazy. So they're singing. And the, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, uh, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And, and the boy goes, he goes, oh, Mom, I'm white. <laughs> and she immediately turns to look at us and go, um, yes, yes, honey. OK, OK. <laughs> and you, you look at me, man, we start talking. <laughs> The mom's like, oh my gosh, no, don't say that. Oh, that is so That's, funny. Oh, my God. You know, those those are, I, I swear, those are some of the just absolute best times working there. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's so, such important times, man. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, uh, I'm, we'll end here, but I, if you hang on the line for just a moment, um, but but thanks uh thanks a lot for being with me today guys here at sunny music soapbox matthew josh reggie we'll talk to you guys again soon all right see ya this concludes episode four oh those drummers part one tune in next time for part two when i interview ohio skateboarding legend and drummer joe waller until then take it easy and stay tuned